This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycast. We're sending a very good, a very good evening to West Trenton, New Jersey. Hello, this is Cravings here on Joy ninety four point nine. We're going to keep you entertained today with some international superstars. There are three of them. Uh, restaurant number four in the world is called Central. You're going to meet a fellow by the name of Virgilio Martinez. Tad, we're also going to meet um, uh, Kalum Chan, who's yeah. a, a, an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, Chinese food. It's very exciting. It's going to be a great show. 33 regions of Chinese cuisine. And also the fabulous Ashley Palmer Watts from Dinner by Heston Blumenthal. All of that is coming up. Stay with Tad and I. We're here until 2 o'clock. Our buzzword today is cravings. Cravings. We're talking cravings. Well, good afternoon. Yes, we are six and a half minutes, almost seven minutes past one. Thank you, Tim Lennox, for the news this morning. We've got a lot to get through. There is. A big show today. Very big show. Um, it's always a big show. It always is, yeah. But we have uh, three outstanding international superstars to introduce you to today. Um, and sadly, I've, I've, because I've caught them all in the last couple of days, uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of my voice and very little of yours, Tad. Which, That's for right. those people listening in, uh, in, is it New Trenton? Uh, West Trenton. West in Trenton Jersey, in yeah. New Jersey, of which there, I believe, is a huge collective this evening. <laughs> That's right. Um, I need to say happy Thanksgiving to all of them. Because That's right. it, is it the end of Thanksgiving? That it is. Why, that's why they get together? That's right. So Thanksgiving was on Thursday in the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the day after is a public holiday um, known as Black Friday, which is a big shopping day. Um, I know. Yeah. I've had so many tweets and emails about 30% off. Yeah. yeah everything. Yeah. yeah. So it's like Boxing Day, but just mm. a bit early. And, yeah. and there's plenty of stock to go around, not just a little bit here and there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So they're all together. They're probably still feasting on leftover pumpkin pie and, and making something with leftover right. turkey. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, pumpkin pie is starting to be a thing in, in Australia. Yeah, but we can't buy the pumpkin in cans like you can in the No, US. no, no. But you, you do it properly. You know, you, do, you roast it and it's much nicer. So. I agree. I agree. We were talking about it in our office the other day. Yep. Did you do something for Thanksgiving? No, I, I've made pumpkin pies, obviously, but um, we'll probably do something on Sunday. It's just... It's not a day off here, so, uh, you know, you have to... I think we need to start know. lobbying the government for well, a day off. unless you live on Norfolk Island, right? Yeah, that was a really good show <laughs> last week. We're, yeah, we're only putting all of that together. Thank so, you. today, uh, there are eight sort of superhero regions of China for cuisine. Yep. It's actually quite amazing uh, food mm. in, in China. Um, so, um, there are something like 38 different... Secular regions of China yep. for cuisine. So uh, a fellow by the name of Kailum Chan and his wife, Doria Chan, have just produced a book by Fiden, um, with Fiden yep. called China. And it's pretty much a, a, an encyclopedic 
wander through all yeah. of those regions of China and recipes and and things that talk about specific regionality within the cuisine. So it was a really interesting chat I had with him. He's a fascinating. Yeah, it man. would have been. Mm. Uh, have you had a chance to go to China at all? Or um, no, been? it's so on my list. Yeah, I I have fortunately, yeah. and not all you know thirty eight regions, but um, I've been to Hong Kong. That counts. Yeah. Well, when I went to Hong Kong, it wasn't with China. Oh, okay. It right. was kind of independent. And, right. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to... Uh, yeah, the food's amazing. The food is outstanding. It is. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we're also going to speak to Ashley Palmer-Watts. He is the exec chef at Dinner by Heston Blumenthal. He's been with Heston for 17 years. I know. It's amazing, isn't mm. it? How, how long it's been. And uh, this week they're announced as the number one restaurant in Victoria's yep. list of top 100 restaurants in Vic. Yep. And I caught it with uh, with Ashley to have a bit of a chat and eat some of his very special dessert he's created for the first birthday. Yes. And also, uh, Virgilio Martinez from Central in Lima in Peru. His restaurant is number four in the world. Yep. Uh, he's been in town this week. He has. He's a delightful young man and we chatted earlier as well. So why don't we start with... Um, a few messages, and, and we'll bring you that very first chat with a fellow by the name of Kailung Chan, um, who is just, he and his wife have the most ridiculous knowledge of um, of Chinese cuisine going around. So we'll have a couple of brief messages, and we'll bring that to you straight away. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. Kilam Chan and his partner in life and in crime, uh, Diora Fong Chan, have created, I think, one of the most stunning uh, encyclopedic books on Chinese cuisine that I've ever seen. It's produced by Faden, and I'm delighted that Kilam is in the studio with me. Welcome. Hello, Peter. Tell me a little bit about how you have built up a, a knowledge over 40 years of, of the, the extensive world that is Chinese cuisine. Uh, well, I started at home actually mm. quite early in life. My wife, my my sorry, my father was a very known, well-known gourmet mm-hmm. as well as a writer in cookbooks. So in the nineteen between nineteen fifty one and fifty three, he published ten, ten books called Food Classics mm-hmm. that are still being published and so today more than sixty years later. So I started early at home. I learned from him a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then until well, and then until I went to school uh, away from, away from home, and then I started to cook for myself. So that sort of got my interest start, started. Uh, but, but then my real knowledge on Chinese food really did not start until I started to work in Beijing. I, I spent five years living in Beijing, and then afterwards, for many years, uh, my wife and I traveled. Uh, pretty much on all of all all of the provinces in Beijing, mm-hmm. no, in China, with the exception of Tibet, because of high altitude. Mm-hmm. So we were able to collect a lot of information uh, on food, on people, on recipes, on ingredients, and and so we built up a, a pretty good library at home, and that we can draw from. And with that, we start to write cookbooks after we retired mm-hmm. from, no, I have my own, I was in the IT industry and she has a uh, business in steel structure engineering. Mm-hmm. So after we retired, we didn't really have much to do. So the publisher came to us and said, why do you write a cookbook? Mm-hmm. So that got us started and we wrote our first cookbook in 2010. Mm-hmm. And since then, we published 16 cookbooks uh, before we published the current one. 
And what what inspired this particular book? Because as as I mentioned, it is absolutely encyclopedic, and I think there's not a part of China that that wouldn't be covered in this because the diversity of of Chinese cuisine is quite extraordinary. Yes, it certainly is. Uh, when when Fiden came to us and saying, "Please do a cookbook on China," we really thought about it and hesitated mm. because such uh, widespread mm. and the diversity, as you mentioned, is so great. Uh, but we de- finally decided to do the book because because there's no such book in the world. Okay, we think well, it would be good to do a book that covers entire China. Uh, initially, they only wanted a book that covers the eight great uh, regional styles, plus maybe a few others. And we thought that if the book is to carry China on its cover, then it's got to be for the entire country, not part of it. So we went and included around thirty-three regions and sub-regions wow. that covers pretty much the entire country. Mm. Uh, of course, there are still some areas that are uncovered because there are just too many. But but I would say we do a pretty good representation of all of the cuisines. For those people who are at home um, fascinated by this story, as I am, what are the eight great regions that you talk about? The eight great cuisines of China. Okay, they're 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 quite well known. Um, Canton, Cantonese, mm-hmm. uh, Sichuanese, mm-hmm. Hunanese, and Fujian, Fujian, mm-hmm. and then the uh, Zhejiang, mm-hmm. Jiangsu, yeah. Anhui, uh-huh. and Shandong. Mm-hmm. Those are the eight provinces that is on the south, southern and southeastern side. And that has been, uh, well, I guess we're blessed with a little warfare over the years mm-hmm. and plenty of ingredients. So, so that's why they developed the eight, eight cuisines. And then if you were to think of the cuisine of, of places like um, Taipei and Taiwan, I think is Hakka cuisine? Uh, Hakka and Fukien. Okay, okay, so that's one of the, the eight. Uh, Taiwan is not part of it, but they were influenced by it. So um, how, how do you sit down and, and we, we've sort of talked about the diversity, the size of China. It's an extraordinarily big country. and yeah, Yes, and if you take those 33 different regions, is there, is there a way that you can sort of mentally start the process and say, well, these are the 33 regions we have to go to? Or did you start with the eight and think, oh, but we need to add that, oh, we need to add that? No, no, we, we started with the idea of doing the entire country. So, mm-hmm. so with the eight were quite well known. Yeah. And we spent more time looking at all of the others that were less well known and start to, to, to go into it more and see what was it that we already have, what was it that we don't have mm-hmm. and need to go after. Mm-hmm. So, um, we were lucky to have, oh, in our own, res- in our own library, about 1200 recipes already. So we, we were asked to deliver 800. Mm-hmm. So from the 1,200, we start to select 800. And that was a, not an easy process. The first 600 was fine. Yeah. The last 200 was very <laughs> painful. <laughs> it was so bad that I almost said, let's give up. Yeah. Because we tried to maintain a good balance, mm-hmm. making sure every province, every area is properly represented and also a balance between ingredients. Now I cannot have too much seafood or too much uh, pork and lamb and so mm-hmm. so it's got a good balance uh, all across and the last 200 recipes were very difficult because of that 
If we think from an Australian perspective, we understand there's been a, a, a very westernised version of, of Chinese food that has been developed here over the last sort of 60 or 70 years. And if we think of Chinese, we would go straight to things like sweet and sour pork or, or fried rice, um, you know, black bean sauce on, on some beef. I wonder if you can give me a bit of a... Uh, an idea of what the the food of the western provinces of China is like compared to the southeast and and how different it is like the western part of China uh, throughout history was very much under under the influence of I would say West Asia Mm -hmm. since the the Silk Road started about 1500 years ago okay so a lot of new ingredients uh, new methods were sort of brought over from the West Mm -hmm. um, as well as people living from uh, people from the from the West areas West Asia areas moving into China okay that made a difference also the religion makes a difference Islam came into China again through the Silk Road and so if you look at Western China you see more and more uh, food that are lamb based mm-hmm. uh, that make much use of herbs spices and also the, the practice of uh, the way they make bread and also the Islam way of, of, of making uh, no halal mm-hmm. uh, so the so, animals are killed. That's right. That's right. So, so I would say, if you go to the western part of China, you will see a lot more foreign influence from the West Asia. Okay, as some as compared to East China, for example, where the food is very refined, because culturally, historically, a lot of poets and writers and emperors would go to East go to East China because of the availability of the ingredients and and the good food, and as such, the culture brought with it refinement mm-hmm. and so if we talk about refined Chinese cuisine you should go to East China Caleb Chan is my guest with uh, with his wife Diora they have produced a, a beautiful book that has charted Chinese, China's uh, cultural diversity through its cuisine and, and I'm delighted he's here to, to talk to us about it what part of China did you grow up in to, to start your journey? In southern China in Guangdong mm-hmm. I lived in Ken- I lived in Hong Kong for many years mm-hmm. uh, so that's where I, I, I guess I grew up that's where I learned most of my uh, basic knowledge about cooking mm-hmm. about food and so it was only until I grew up and, and lived in China that I really get into all the various kinds of food. And then I guess the, the next part of the, the journey is, is how the food of China has influenced other parts of, of Asia. So the influences of Chinese cuisine in places like Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, parts of Thailand, um, is, has it been a, a big influence, the, the way that China has not dominated. I don't think that's the word, but the way that China has influenced the the rest of Southeast Asia. Well, I think the influence go both ways. Mm. Uh, of course, to, to go back in history, first of all, chopsticks were invented in China and nothing exported to Korea and Japan. Uh, the way we we eat, we in the old days. We, before we have tables and chairs, we sat, sat on the floor, mm-hmm. and they still do that in Japan and right. Korea. So, so that's part of the culinary culture that we exported in the early days. Uh, <clears throat> of course, the influence goes both ways. Okay. Uh, 
on the one hand, on the on the export side, mm-hmm. we have a lot of people leaving China, moving to other areas. Mm-hmm. For example, the Hakka people and the Fujian people, as well as Cantonese, move. Uh, a lot of them move into Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. and probably within their foot. And if you go to Singapore, Malaysia, and and Thailand today, you will see a lot of foot from Hakka. Mm. And but on but vice versa, we're influenced by foot from that area as well. For example, the uh, shark fin actually come from Southeast Asia into China. Mm-hmm. So even though we like shark fin soup, we know that the origin really came from Southeast Asia. Uh, things like swallow's nest again in an import from that area. Um, Satay, which we like a lot. Yes, yes. Uh, the way the southeastern Malaysian food is very, very much a favorite in in China, especially in southern China. So, so the influence goes both ways, mm. and throughout the ages, uh, Chinese cuisine is very, very good in terms of uh, assimilating. Uh, input from overseas and made it in, into part of our own, and we see this trend continuing. Uh, for example, in modern Chinese cuisine, in restaurants certainly, they are making use of a lot of Western ingredients. Mm. Now, some of the more exotic, more expensive ingredients like truffles and so on, and they will add it to their uh, dishes. Now. Whether it's good or not, that depends. But this is what they do today, mm. and I think that is good that that they are able to create and to think of new things, and hopefully some of these will stay. Mm. It's it's fascinating that you went to the, the the Western influence on China because that was sort of my next question. How much has um, the the growth of of the internet and and um, technology allowed? Chinese cuisine to evolve with influences from the French and from Australia and from various parts of, of Europe and North America. Well, there, is, and there are a lot of it, in fact. Uh, I would say over the last 30 years, since the reform and opening up of China, people were really hunger for things from the outside. Mm. Almost everything that were brought into China were almost instantly accepted. Now, McDonald's went in many years ago, and boom, all of a sudden it it became very popular. As well as Western cuisine, uh, people, especially younger people, they want something from the West. This is new to them, and, 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 and they liked it because they find food to be very different and very tasty. Uh, of course, they still like the tra- tra- traditional foods at home, and that I think that would never go away. Mm. But the experience of having something new, something exotic, is what really gets people interested. Mm. So nowadays, we see food from all over all over the world. In fact, Australian or Japanese or Korean, uh, certainly American, and so on. You can find them all over China, and, and they are really. More and more restaurants like this are opening up, and the Chinese themselves are starting to, to change. Mm-hmm. Okay, they adapt Western methods in their cooking sometimes, mm-hmm. and try to try to blend in, try to make something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I think especially the younger people want something that is exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, food is good at home, but it's not as exciting mm-hmm. as something new. Yeah, so, so I think they want both: the mm-hmm. good stuff at home and the exciting stuff they get from outside. Caleb Chan is my guest. Caleb, I'm, I'm curious, is there any risk of some of these very old traditional Chinese methods and ingredients? Is there any risk of that starting to fade as the dominance of the West does take over in any younger generation? Or is there 
enough of China and enough of those traditions that it will never disappear? I think part of them are, are, are sort of leaving us. Mm. Uh, well, of course, uh, we have so many years of history that mm. a great part of it will, of course, stay. And, in fact, this is one of the reasons why we decided to write the book. Mm. Because uh, whether some of these dishes will... Um, will be popular in homes, we would like to write it down just a, as a record so mm-hmm. that people, well, at least, you know, it's somewhere people can find it. Yeah. It, it, won't be, it won't become a lost recipe of China. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, uh, some of them will eventually be lost, unfortunately. But maybe this is part of history. Mm-hmm. You know, some will stay, some will go, and new ones will, will replace them. My concern is that Many of the new innovations may not last a test of time. Mm. And eventually they will go away and then nothing will remain. Mm. Do you have... Uh, what's the favorite thing that you and, and Dora like to eat in your home when you, when you cook together at the end of a day? Is there something you like to, to cook that is because of its simplicity or because it's rustic or because it's, it's your favorite thing to eat when, when you're just simply at home? Well, I would say fish. Fish? Mm. Uh, fish is, first of all, fish is easy to cook. Mm. Uh, and we, first of all, I have to say we have good fish mm. in Hong Kong. You can get almost any kind. And, and the only kind we like are those that are swimming in a tank. And we will use the just steam it because this way you get the best part of the fish. Mm. And the other thing we like is to think, make something like soy sauce chicken. This is this is an easy to do dish, and everybody I know likes it. So those are simple things we like. The other thing we like to do is to make a lot of dumplings or wontons mm. because we freeze them. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you don't feel like cooking much. We take our twenty wontons and cook them, and everybody gets ten. Yeah. So so this is sort of what we do at home. Uh, we don't usually cook big meals. We, there are only two of us, so we cook very little. Unt- unless friends come to visit, then we do a five, six-course meal. Okay, Lung Chan, it has been a delight to meet you. Thank you for spending some time with me and talking about this book. It is simply called China, the Cookbook. Um, it is available through Fiden, and I'm sure any good bookstore, bookstore that you walk into will carry it. It's a great big heavy time. It's beautiful. Thank you, Kailung. Thank you very much, Peter. Hi, I'm Heston Blumenthal. You're with Pete Dillon on Cravings on Joy 94.9. Ah, this is... We are speeding through this show, Tad. We are really going well. Fascinating man, yep. Kei Long Chan. And, and the, the knowledge of, of Chinese cuisine is oh, outstanding. Like, an, like an encyclopedia of mm. Chinese food. Pretty incredible. Now we have to move to a British chef in Australia. Um, yep. We mentioned at the top of the program Ashley Palmer Watts. He's the executive chef of Dinner by Heston Blumenthal. He opened Dinner in London. Yes. He opened Dinner here a year ago, celebrating their first birthday. So um, I caught up with him and thought we'd have a bit of a chat about that first birthday and all yeah. sorts of things. So now here is that chat. This is a very Perfect. weird program we're doing today. You're here on Cravings on Joy 94.9. It's 18 minutes to 2. We've met Ashley Palmer once before. He is the executive chef at dinner uh, by Heston Blumenthal at Crown. I can't believe, Ashley, it's already been a year that you've been open, and here we are again talking about success that's just rolling on and on and on. Yeah, it's been a, it's, it's flown by. But um, yeah, we're certainly really pleased to, you know, have just picked up the award in, in Victoria and yeah, just pleased to be part of it, you know. You've just preempted my very first question. Number one on Victoria's list of hottest or best 100 restaurants. That's, um, is that a surprise to you? Uh, yeah, co- complete surprise. I mean, everything that, you know, awards like that just make things, make people happy and kind of spur them on, you know. 
Are you just trying to be humble? Uh, always humble, you know. <laughs> always humble. No, we ju- we just concentrate on what we do at the table: mm. service, good food, that whole interactive side. And you know, the the, th- the awards and, and recognition come on the back of that, really. It's it's nice to know though that um, that Victoria's embraced you and taken those ideas from something that is particularly British and said, you know, hey, this this is cool, this is great, we can we can get into this. So, what do you think that's been? Is it the fact that we've got such good produce for you to use or is it the fact that it's got Heston's name to it or is it the fact that we just love to, to eat here? I think it's I think it's a combination of all of those things and I think above all else when you come to the restaurant our main goal is for everyone to have such a great time, have great food, relax, have great service, learn something new, explore new things and it's predominantly British, but like, for example, what's in front of you is mm-hmm. predominantly mm-hmm. Australian and um, <laughs> especially Melbourne. So mm-hmm. it's about embracing local culture, local sort of history and, and, and having a bit of fun with it. Well, let's talk about what's in front of me here because you've created two desserts, I think, to celebrate the first birthday of Dinner by Heston Blumenthal at Crown. Um, the first of which um, you couldn't bring here into the studio because it's just a bit messy um, and it's a bit master chefy and it looks like it needs some tricks and whistles. And yeah. um, that's the egg. Now, the egg, I think, is already on the menu. Yeah, the egg is going on this week and uh, it's the one that we did for uh, Master Chef Final uh, this year. It's incredibly difficult to do. We've, it's taken us an, a further three months to work it into a point where we can actually produce enough to put on the menu. Um, so it's, it's based on an emu egg, um, sort of beautifully mottled blue eggshell with white inside. Sure. So it, it sounds like it's... Has it got a bit of acidity, obviously, to it, this, this egg, so that the verjuice gives it that, that point of difference in the yuzu jelly? Yeah, I think it's, it's about sort of breaking into something. It's about discovery. It's about coconut it's, we make it with coconut water so it's a very very light set panna cotta you've got the coffee that the the flavor combination itself is is really interesting it doesn't sound like it should work mm. but when you actually eat down through the layers it it completely works and and hopefully it should blow people away so are you, su- are you surprised by the way we've taken to these sort of very, very old stories? Our, obviously, our history is, is 40,000 plus years old, but our, our settlement history, the way we eat now, is only a couple of hundred years old, adopted from predominantly the Brits and the Irish. Is, um, are you surprised at how enchanted we are by the, sort of these stories that are much older and much more significant in, in British history? Yeah, I mean, the, the interest is brilliant, and that's, you know, that, that for us is really exciting. Um, but we're, we're looking at the Australian um, side of history and what makes kind of Australia tick from the settlement point of view. And working with a historian in, in Adelaide called Barbara Santich, she said, look, you must do something with the cherry ripe. And then when we thought about that, it's, there's a real balance of history, but it's a real sort of recent history and almost a higher balance of nostalgia and what makes people smile. So it's kind of a lot more nostalgia here than, than just in Great Britain. Mm. So let's talk about this cherry ripe because it's sitting in front of me looking delicious. So this is um, your take on the cherry ripe bar that we are all so familiar with. Yes. So when looking into the cherry ripe bar, it was um, invented in Melbourne in 1924. And the Mac Robinson family invented it here in Melbourne. We look back at the name, and the name appears as if it came from a piece of poetry written by a guy called Robert Herrick in the UK. In 1591, he was born. 
and he wrote a piece of uh, poetry that made reference to Cherry Ripe, Cherry Ripe and about the Cherry Isle. And mm-hmm. about 80 years later, another chap, a composer, wrote a piece of music to turn this poetry into a song. So for us, this is just brilliant. Mm. Like, it's so uh, rich with its history and, mm. and, and linkage. It's brilliant. And what's, what's it consist of? Because it looks, it looks very simple, but I'm assuming it's not. Yeah, so on the bottom we've got a, a, a kind of crumbly chocolate biscuit base and then above that we've got a little gooey um, coconut sponge, like very, very soft coconut. And then we've got a Morello cherry jam and then surrounded with a chocolate mousse and then we spray it with chocolate so it kind of looks like flocked and powdery and um yeah if you just eat down through the layers i mean it goes with other things this Mm. is just the bar part but um yeah i think it we've we've used it for our interpretation of something that's very dear to lots of australians and makes them smile and celebrating a year on um i'm I'm kind of I, i can't believe it's been a year i say that again um What's been the the biggest challenge you've faced? Because I know when we first sat down and spoke, we talked a lot about um, how you've recruited your team, where they've come from. Um, has there, what, what's been the big change over the last 12 months for you? Well, I think as people have come to the restaurant and kind of understood what dinner is, you know, we, we came here and we opened six, minutes, six months after the Fat Duck left and went back to the UK. So I think there might have been an expectation of what the restaurant was without actually knowing. So mm. it's, it's a large restaurant. It's predominantly a la carte. You know, we do a tasting degustation on the on the chef's table, but it's a la carte. You can come in for steak and chips and meat, fruit and tipsy cake, or you can come in for much more intricate, involved, um, finer dishes than than steak and chips but and i know we also spoke then about um the pressure on you in a venue that doesn't carry your name um has that pressure subsided is is the bull bloke happy enough uh heston yeah he's he's over the moon i mean you know i've worked with heston for over 17 years um in terms i don't i don't get up in the morning and think oh we've got heston's name on the door and oh we've got all this pressure and expectation we we just try and concentrate on what we're doing and you know we have a we have a large team here in melbourne nearly 100 people it's about inspiring them running them and and making them sort of be part of that whole process the whole movement Think, I'm sort of thinking back as well. I remember um, trying to get into the Melbourne version of the Fat Duck was impossible. Um, and I know when dinner first opened, it was kind of hard to get into. Is Can I get a booking? Yeah, I mean, it's it, the, the, the fair thing to say is it's a really large restaurant. Mm. We do take walk-ins every day. Um, you know, you've got to be prepared to have a little drink in the bar, wait 15, 20 minutes, but we're always trying to squeeze people in. Weekends are tricky, need to book in advance, but definitely... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, for dinner, we definitely got space and we open Friday, Saturday, Sunday for lunch too, so. And it's, it's not just a special occasion. I mean, it's a beautiful exploration of culinary, tra- culinary tradition and, and all of those, um, sort of intricate things that, that food has become known for. There's, there's a touch of magic in there that exists as well. You mentioned the meat fruit before. It's a most beautifully presented dish and a lovely sort of challenge to the mind because we tend to, to eat with our eyes first. So um, it's... Uh, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be that break the bank situation either, does it? No, not at all. And you know, for for December, we're running a different meat fruit, and it's a spiced plum, red wine plum meat fruit. And um, but you can just come in and have a couple of drinks at the bar. It's mm. you know, from nine thirty every night, we're open. Yeah. You can come in, sit, 
lovely vista over the dining room, look over the city, historically inspired cocktails, olive leaf martini, cider gimlet, ribery pink gin. It's, um, yeah, you can come in at different levels. So, you know, pop in, have a drink, see what it's like. And, you know, if you feel like staying for dinner, we'll, we'll try and fit you in. And I imagine there's a perception because of the name that's associated with it. I don't want to keep mentioning his name because it's not about him at all. Um, <laughs> because there is that perception, I, I, I guess people think, oh, that's got to be really expensive because it's Heston. No, it's, it's, not, it's not any more expensive than uh, any reasonably um, reasonable quality uh, good restaurant in Melbourne. We, we we like to sit in amongst you know it's it's at the upper end, but not it's not out of reach of of, of main dining. No, it's not a few demands, is it? Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's move on. Um, congratulations on um, on the first year. I, I still can't believe it's been a year and continued success. Wait, how long are you back in in Melbourne for before you take off again? Um, I'm actually flying back uh, today, um, but. I've been here about two and a half weeks, mm-hmm. and I'll be back in January for the Australia Day. Um, so be part of the celebrations, and, you know, we've got a few surprises. You're missing our New Year's Eve fireworks, which is a great disgrace. I know. I was here last year. I'm, I'm totally gutted I'm not here, but I need to uh, spend New Year with my family back in the UK. So uh, next year. Mate, it's good to see you again. Thank you for coming in, and we'll, um, we'll catch up in January when you're here. Will do. Thanks very much. I was at work. I was riding my horse. I was microwaving a watermelon. My iguanas escaped. There are lots of reasons why you may have missed your favourite show, but don't worry, because our podcast team has you covered. They'll work through rain, hail and national glitter shortages to bring you the best bits of every show. Visit joy.org.au and click on the podcast tab or head to the iTunes Australia podcast store and subscribe to your favourite shows for free. Thanks to our podcasters, you'll never feel guilty about missing a show again. Joy. Here on Joy 94.9. Ted, we've got to be very, very quick. We do. We're going to very quickly um, say goodbye because yep. we're going to our next interview. And then after that interview, we'll play some uh, some sponsorship announcements. And then we'll hand you straight over to the escape pod. Uh, Russ is back from the USA and uh, South America. Uh, he's been and met the mother-in-law, so we're sure to hear <laughs> all about that on the escape pod after 2 o'clock this afternoon. Um, thank you for joining me. You'll be on your own next week flying solo. Woo! Yes. Look out. Yep. Uh, so Ted will be here by himself. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know who you've got on? I, I haven't confirmed it yet, so I won't actually say, but I have my ideas. So yeah. And we have to very quickly say to the person that sent the can yeah. with Christmas coming, can you please give us some vegan lunch tips? Uh, Ian, Tess, we cannot. Uh, so so <laughs> we're going to bring you a discussion with uh, Virgilio Martinez. He is His restaurant is number four in the world uh, in Lima, in Peru. Fascinating young man. Absolutely adorable. Uh I won't be here next week. I'll see you on. I'll see you when I see week. you. Yeah, have a good yeah, weekend. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Here is Virgilio, and uh, thank you for joining us today. You're on Joy ninety four point nine. Virgilio Martinez is a chef like no other. He's from Peru, a former semi-professional skateboarder turned chef whose influence is directed to uh, shamans and high priests who, in some senses, influence what he does. Welcome to Cravings. Hello. How are you? Uh, happy to be with you, Tucky. Tell me about how you went from being a semi-professional skateboarder to a kitchen. Well, it's not that, that um, there's no there's not much uh, difference about uh, you know s- s- uh, doing skateboarding and and, and 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 cooking. You know, like uh, you were a chef and I can't uh, skateboard. Uh, uh, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, 
You work uh, long hours. Yes. Yes. Uh, you work uh, with a team, mm -hmm. of course. Yeah, you have teams. Yep. Um, you have to be very hyperactive, of course. Mm -hmm. um, creative. Right. Yeah. A little bit crazy. Yeah. A lot. A lot of that. Yeah. Um, how did uh, looking at your book Central, Central based on your restaurant in Peru and your elevation, like you focus on the elevation of of the topography of Peru, the elevation of your career to number four in the world. Are you a little bit surprised at how much attention people have paid to what you do? I think now it's kind of, um, you know, uh, I have to pay attention of uh, the expectation of the people about uh, maybe Peru, mm -hmm. which is like a, a, a country full of uh, history and, 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 you know, and tradition and ingredients and biodiversity. So if the restaurant is, is you know, is achieving to, to give you one experience and, and just translate all these uh, things that are happening in Peru, I think the restaurant is gonna be is gonna do good, and uh, yeah, all this, the way that Central is is improving and, and you know getting some attention is because of all these things happening uh, in Peru, and it's just a consequence. The the focus on your restaurant is all about Peru. Everything is Peruvian. I'm assuming if you can't find what you need, then you don't use it. No, well. Well, the, the ideas and the philosophy and, and the whole thing is like very global. I mean, like um, if you see Peru, I mean, if you, if you see Peru, one of the most biodiverse places in in the, in the world, and 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 you see the world in Peru. So uh, there are many things that uh, you 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 can find even here, being so far away that uh, probably I wouldn't say that belong to Peru, but uh, I mean that we share. The true the, the, well, the background of Peruvian is. Um, is predominantly based in, in ancient Spanish behaviour, but uh, there's a huge Japanese population in Peru. There's there's great cultural diversity. Do you draw uh, your influence from the diversity of culture, or do you draw your influence from what nature gives you? It's more, it's more driven to by nature and, and driven by, by um, even the pre-Incas time, uh, probably all this ancient uh, culture and knowledge and and I think what happened after uh, the Spanish came to Peru, it, it was just great. It was just still, it's a, it's a, it's a fusion, a melting, a melting pot. But this is not what Central is doing nowadays. We are like more focused on what's happening in, in, in nature, in, in, the, in the Amazon, in, in, the, in the Andes, and even in, in the Pacific uh, coast. And how are you influenced by, um, by shamans and high priests in villages that you go to? How much do they alter the way you think about an ingredient or an idea or a, or a philosophy even around your food? Oh, they are, the, they are actually the, the real knowledge that uh, we need and, and those are our best uh, suppliers on ideas, on, on styles, on not only ingredients. So we, are, we really have to show some respect to, to all these uh, native communities that live in very far away from our cities. And I think, yeah, they, they, they are part of Central. So that's why uh, our main goal is to, to just to communicate what's or promote what's 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 happening over there. Is food for you a, a, a philosophical or, or a spiritual thing, rather than something that's practical, rather than just feeding people? There's a there's a spiritual side to what you do. Oh yeah, of course, both things like what you said, uh, the spiritual and and and. and uh, 
and and it's something that uh, of course um, there is a, f- a philosophy behind uh, the whole thing. But yeah, there is a lot of emotions in in in, in, in one experience, even in in, in the kitchen. Uh, everybody is so emotional, and, and you know. The emotion in the kitchen, you, you probably know, is different than the emotion in, in the in dining room. Yes. You know, in the dining room, the, the, the rhythms are different. So um, you have to be, you have tried to be, you, at one point you have, you have tried to be everywhere. In the dining room, they waltz. In the kitchen, they rumba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> um, the diversity of ingredients. I was, I was thinking earlier about your the similarity between yourself and and to some degree Alex Atala, who I know um, from Dom in Sao Paulo, works with um, Amazonian tribes and and sort of grows into the community and becomes a part of the community and supports the community to not just go in and take that. There's there's a bit of give back, and I understand your philosophy is very much like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we we just can't uh, build a relationship with a, uh, if if you don't if you don't give something, and, and and I'm not saying about you know just give paying a check or giving something like like that. It's just giving your time and you know uh, you know promotion, uh, good com- uh, conversations uh, and stuff like that. So. Uh, yeah, I think we have to work. Um, nowadays, they are our best suppliers, and I was telling you, like best suppliers on ideas, and 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 actually they actually motivate uh, our work every single day. So we still have to visit um, these uh, communities um, probably every week, and and we actually we need a team to to do that. Uh, now we work with anthropologists and botanists and biologists and and artists and people that really are. Keen to 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 and keen and and very sensible to to understand what's what's happening what's what happened in these in these communities. Virgilio Martinez is from Central in Peru. His restaurant is number four on the San Pellegrino Top 50. The Top 50 is about to come out again, um, and it times well with the release of your book Central. Um, talk to me about the book and and how you determined what the book would would look like not just from a visual point of view but um that is able to chart your your journey i suppose it's a book about uh, an exploration of, of of peru which um has a strong uh, message of preservation of natural ecosystems uh, in the world so it's it's how well peru could be an example of uh, because of where we live in this biodiverse um, geography um, we can show that we can do something with food and, and how food is connecting us and, and we you know we just made a book um, based on different altitudes and which is very I wouldn't say complex but it needs it needs sometimes to, 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 to have a good read and, and, and think about you know very important things so it's a thinking man's book. It's not a cook's book. <laughs> <laughs> well, both, you know. Yeah, both. Yeah. Um, tell me about your childhood. How, uh, growing up, what did what? How did you see the world when you were little? Well, I used to I used to live uh, very, uh, by the sea, so I had I had lots of uh, connection with uh, fishermen and and. and uh, but yeah, I lived I lived in in, in Peru where where Peru was uh, difficult. Uh, you know, the shining path, terrorism, and, and uh, economy was wasn't wasn't good. So it was like um, we had this this all these uh, ideas of just living in Peru or you know moving to another country. 
which is not it's not happening now. I mean, like now we are Peruvians. We are so 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 happy to be Peruvians and so so happy to to, to you know to to visit uh, different parts of Peru where probably before we were, we were not able to go because it was dangerous. Mm. So you you now travel the world. You cook with chefs all over the world. Um, what little pieces of of their knowledge or their experience do you pick up and take with you? Well, I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming not for, for recipes. I'm coming for for their philosophies. Like like here in Attica, I see Benz how how he he works with with uh, with his uh, team and how he 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 uses some ingredients and how he, he talks and, and for me that's very important so uh, whenever I had a chance to, to, to travel and, and see different restaurants for me it's the whole learning and and of course it's a, for me it's good for, it's, it's a promotion of what I do and at the end of course I want people to go to, to Peru Peru and and experience not central experience what's what's Peru We've seen a, a huge growth in um, our understanding of and our appreciation for uh, Central and South America. And if I look at look at us globally, um, I think for about the last four or five years, people keep telling me the next big thing in Australia is Peruvian cuisine. Is there a way to identify Peruvian cuisine like we would say Italian or Chinese or French? I think the... the, the in this in these days it's diff, very difficult now to put a label like before like this is Chinese this is Italian this is French I mean like now it's to say this is Peruvian it's like it's very difficult because uh, what is it like is it Amazonian is it Andean is it uh, Limian is it Creole is it uh, Chinese Peruvian which is Chifa is it Nikkei which is Japanese Peruvian so so just to put a label on what's Peruvian food is, is quite difficult and and uh, I think it's just like um, the way these things are now. It's like um, there are many cuisines and and, and different uh, concepts, and, and most of them are well, uh, hardly hardly influenced by 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 different cuisines. Uh, is this your first trip to Australia? This is the second one. Yeah. Both in Melbourne. Yes. Uh, what? Um what draws you here? What what makes you want to come back? Well, uh, you know, uh, every time in cent- in Central, I have like um, I have like probably two tables coming from Australia, and I get a lo- long conversation with Australians. I'm mostly people from Melbourne. And we're, we're the classy ones. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, Australia is a fascinating uh, country. Uh, I see all the, the ingredients that you have, and, and it's like Peru. The ingredients that you have, you don't know them, and and you find difficult to 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 show to your to your guests, or you find difficult to promote them. And and I think we have lots of similitudes, and being so far away, you know. And have you found an ingredient here in Australia that you like to work with, and you'd love to have in Peru? Well, um, the obvious one, uh, kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how But you have a lot of llamas here, right now, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. alpaca, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than Peru, more than in Peru, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, I'm gonna steal some kangaroos. I'll do the same. Is there um, th- there's a project you have that's quite close to your heart that is not in the kitchen? It's sort of kind of your research arm um, or your your discovery space tell me about that project 
Yeah, that's called Mater Iniciativa, and uh, we 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 did that because we had the need of of of, have a, of having a team to do what we were doing by ourselves. And at one point, we we found out that we didn't have any, we didn't have much time. We didn't have sponsors, and it was difficult to 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 do what we were doing, which was like just register ingredients that were not part of our gastronomy uh, knowledge. So um, we start to talk about like uh, working with different disciplines and um, understanding our our territory, our geography, and in different aspects. You know, so nowadays we work with anthropologists, artists, and um, different disciplines. And and this this team is just you know like um, is promoting our culture, of course, promoting our, our ingredients, and also. Well, actually, nowadays is kind of the soul of what's happening in Central because if this, without this knowledge, there's no no Central to do. Vigilio, it's been a pleasure to meet you. I know you've got to get back to the kitchen and brief some chefs on a, at a dinner tonight. Um, the book is published by Fiden. It's a beautiful book. Um, every good bookstore will have your book, of course, and it's been a delight to meet you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.